HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is sponsored by Bob's Red Mill, employee-owned and operated, and founded on the principle of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network, broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. All right, all right. It is Monday, and it's time for What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. And we are going to have some serious insights today, people, because my guest is none other than the one, the only, the inimitable... Steve Jenkins. I barely need to introduce this guest because, um, first of all, he's been on the network so often, but secondly, because he is literally synonymous with good food and gourmet food in the United States, uh, as well as around the world. Um, Steve Jenkins, in case you don't know who he is, is the author of The Cheese Primer, which was one of the very first books about uh, international cheeses that nobody had ever heard of or seen before. Um, He is the longtime resident genius at Fairway Markets. Uh, He has won innumerable awards, domestic and international international in uh, his discerning palette for cheese, for olive oils, for uh, marketing, for you name it. Steve has done it. And he is an expert basically on all things food. Uh, What an incredible life this guy has had. And he's just getting started, right, Steve? Now he has an incredible new import business called, not surprisingly, Steve Jenkins Imports. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network, Steve. It's so great to have you on. Sounds like I'm striving mightily to remain relevant and you made it sound like I'm somebody somebody would actually want to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Of course you're somebody somebody would want to listen to. I always want to listen to you even if nobody else does. But I think most people will want to listen to you. Come on, what a reputation you have, man. You have been at the forefront of the quote-unquote gourmet food industry since it really started ramping up back in the 70s, which is when I remember it. You and I started out kind of around the same time. I worked at Pasta and Cheese. Didn't you work there too? I sure did, from uh, right when I quit Giorgio and Joel Dean and DeLuca. 
and I went to work for Henry Lambert, who I'm right. having lunch with today, Katie. Stop it! At Pasta and Cheese. And Henry Lambert was the guy who who got Marcella Hazan to write up his fresh pasta that he made That's out right. in Long Island City and had trucked into his shops on the Upper East Side. It was a it was a very cool thing he did before anybody had a, any notion of 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 boiling fresh noodles, fresh pasta in their kitchen and pouring some gloppy tomato sauce on it. But he made a huge success out of it. And he's he amazing, sure amazing man. It's real. I can't believe the guy's still alive, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, and he doesn't look a day older than when you and I knew him back in 79 no for me. Wow. Yeah. You were several years later because you're a lot younger than I am. But, I am not, no. But he still looks the same <laughs> as he did in when I met him in 79. It's Incredible. amazing. Henry Lambert. He was Saul Steinberg's top guy. Remember back in the 80s when you'd read of in the newspapers about that mogul uh, Saul Steinberg who you lived betcha. on the east side with Gayfried, his his society wife. I, yeah. I never met them, but but I'm, I've told they were nice people, but he had a reputation for being a real shark. Henry was his top guy. Wow. Henry had a chauffeured Mercedes, he was so important to Saul Steinberg, one of the original billionaires, one of the yeah. original guys that we would heap scorn on because they owned everything. Everything. He's the, he was the Stephen Schwartzman of his day. But yeah, it all, <laughs> it all started way back then, but it's way all, back. everything's all linked and hooked together. It is. I mean, that was, I mean, in a way, that was the story. I mean, Dean and DeLuca existed because you came from Dean and DeLuca, and yeah. Balducci's existed, but Pasta and Cheese to me was the store chain. There were like six or seven stores yeah. at its top, and they were the ones who really brought that international cuisine into everybody's home. They were the first ones to really make it popular to, you know, that's that was when raspberry vinegar was a thing, right? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's just amazing. It was 77. I became program. the first person hired to work at Dean and DeLuca, Joel's and Giorgio's wonderful shop and Jack Schicklick's wonderful shop right. on Prince Street at, at Wooster, between Wooster and uh, something else. But anyway, it was there wasn't even a decent bottle. There wasn't a real bottle of olive oil in Dean and DeLuca, no. 77, 78, and 79. Opened in the summer of 77. Wow. And, you know, we, we had this wonderful uh, buzz about how cool we were for all the great food. But in, indeed, even in those days, Katie, there was no good olive oil. It took it until I quit Giorgio and Joel and went to work for Pasta and cheese. Did I get my hands on real extra virgin olive oil, and I put it in all of our shops at Pasta and Cheese? Yeah. I think I find that to be just absolutely amazing. Well, it's sort of. Ex- but it was Giorgio and me that pioneered the balsamic vinegar in '78. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I still love balsamic vinegar. I'm. I'm- <laughs> Guilty yeah, you and everybody else, for sure. But now <laughs> I, there's I, PX sherry vinegar, and there's Lambrusco vinegar, and yeah. there's a ton of great sweet vinegars that are just as enjoyable and addictive as balsamic. Absolutely. But the thing that really, for me, pasta and cheese, I don't want to stay too long on this particular chapter of your yeah. history. but Sorry, but, my fault. But no, no, not at all. Um, because I think it's important for people to remember that this, like, we didn't have this stuff not no, so long ago. No, it evolved. Ago. You know, it happened because they were maniacs. Yeah, and like the you, cheese buying like program, like you. Who insisted on having the real deal and yeah. not some trumped-up fake thing from uh, the United States trying to imitate a European standard that had been around for a thousand years, like like, like balsamic vinegar. That's right. But the, for me, it was the cheese education that I got there that was just has, you know, left me a lifelong cheeseaholic well, for better or much. worse. That yeah, no, me. I mean, really. 
That was you. Yeah. I mean, and you were going off to these little villages and finding these incredible cheeses. And I remember like when the USDA suddenly slammed the door shut on raw milk yeah. cheeses. And that was yeah. like a big deal. And Yeah, anyway. I made a career out of smuggling. Yeah. <laughs> And you know what's weird is that nobody else cared about it but me. That's why I was I got to be successful and got a reputation because I, yeah. I chose to do something nobody else seemed to care about. That's right. And then you wrote the cheese primer I, once yep. you went to once you jumped to Fairway. I think you were at Fairway already when you wrote. Yeah, that, I got to Fairway you? in eighty. Yeah. Wow. After I left Henry Lambert, I, I uh-huh. went to this market nobody had ever heard of called That's Fairway right. up on 74th and Broadway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's how and, that evolved. Now, how did you, I want to ask you this, how did you go from being the international man of cheese to being the, you know, the, the basically the apostle oh, of olive oil? Oh, because by, by that, by 96, I was getting paid so much that uh, they wanted me to do other things. And I, I had pioneered all these non-cheese items into Fairway, and I had hired some really talented people to run my operation, yeah. and it just behooved my, my partners to, to make me do other things than just pay attention to cheese. So I started importing everything direct right. to Fairway, and that's why you wanted to talk to me today, is it why is. and how did that evolve? And that Absolutely. was purely because I lost patience with the local importers and distributors who had me a slave to whatever it is they chose to import and distribute. They didn't know anything about food. They weren't passionate about food. They didn't study and study and study night after night and travel and travel like I did on my own money to to learn and get turned on to rock and roll ancient staples of Europe that defined the entire realm of gastronomy. That was was a lowly counter guy who who got... (laughs) who got good, who got better and better as the years went by, and Fairway yeah. got famous and became a destination store because because we were all good merchants at Fairway, and right. also because I stopped relying on the local importers and distributors on their same old stuff yeah. that you could find up and down the street in any Korean store or any any place, you know, even a food important. I, I stopped saying, this, this, is, this is crazy. I'm bringing in my own stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it happened. And that's how you have evolved now into having your own label. Well, yeah, Steve I retired two, two and a half years ago because Fairway was, we were bought out by a private equity group, that's and that right. was immediately no good. In huh. my mind, I wasn't uh-huh. going to be able to deal with those 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 guys from Greenwich, so I, <laughs> I got out, and uh, I realized, well, my God, I'm only, what, I'm only, you know, 60-something, and yeah. I'm at the height of my powers, and I've, I've been pioneering all these cheeses and non-cheese items for, for 15 years, some of them almost 20. Right. And it was a stable of exclusives that weren't being sold in any other stores but my fairway stores. And uh-huh. I, I said to myself, why don't I just share these with the better retailers across the country and certainly in this area so that so that I can continue to keep my, my feet in the water and and, and, mm-hmm. um, and widely disseminate all these killer olive oils and and and, and chocolates and, and all kinds of things that are in my stable that nobody else has. Yeah, That's I know. You, your website is unbelievable. I mean, the, the, the products that you have are not what I would have expected from, you know, Mr. Mr. Olive Oil, Cheese, yeah. and Vinegar. Well, they were all fairway items. <coughs> you couldn't buy anyplace else. So I distilled it down mm-hmm. from, you know, so over a hundred little European companies, Katie, to like 50-something. Mm-hmm. 
the ones that were real winners for me at Fairway that right. really sold, and then I reordered and reimported time after month after month after month since you know the late nineties. Right, and they're all winners. They're all things that me and my friends and and people that uh, that I care about getting invited to their house to eat dinner, stuff that they're used to having because I always would bring it to them or they would buy it in one of my fairway stores. And, and you just can't find this stuff anyplace else. And now these knuckleheads that, that operate fairway haven't reordered any of these things because they don't know how to import. They think it's too much trouble. Well, well that was going to be my crazy. next question. Yeah, absolutely. Well, talk a little bit about the import business. Like, So who are you selling your stuff to? Why doesn't fairway just use you as the broker then? Well, for one thing, I haven't offered to be that to them, and they haven't reached out, so I don't know. There's a lot of things that I don't know about that I don't care about. Okay. At my age, you you just don't care about all those things that you used to. (laughs) You know, if somebody was going to blow smoke up my bottom and say, we've got to have all that stuff that we used to have, well, you know, I'd probably take a meeting, but, you know, they haven't reached out. So I'm going, this has only just started. Yeah. Uh, My wife, Michelle made this website in about 10 days, so it's not rocket science. It's just very handsome Oh yeah, very, it's very accessible. Good it's stevejenkinsimports.com. It's fun to go to, fun to look at. It fun is. To look Great at photos. A website that you can do yourself uh, <laughs> if you've got somebody talented like your, your wife. Yeah, really. I could have used it on it. mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I couldn't have done it in a million years. And she, she sat down and did it in about 10 days. God bless. Wow. Blows my mind. It's That's so impressive. lovely. Yeah. So you want to you wanna see some very cool stuff, you go to stevejenkinsimports.com and the catalog password is 111. That's right. So check it out, folks, because really yeah, there's an amazing... No big deal. No big deal. But it's very there. cool to see all the stuff you're missing now that Fairway has receded into the woodwork and really is just an ordinary chain of supermarkets now. So, I hate to say it. Uh, kind of. Yeah. Absolutely. Kind of. Totally. Yeah. Yep. yep. Breaks my heart. I bet Absolutely it does. Absolutely breaks my heart. Yeah, of course. That's the way things go sometimes. It is. But you're gonna you have risen from the ashes and here you have a new import business and you're gonna be selling into all kinds of specialty stores before you know it. So is that this your is goal? not self serving, Katie. This is you know, I'm 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 mostly sure dealing is. out of town, so this is not something where I'm humping my website to do business. It's it's a it's a a thing of beauty. It's <laughs> the stuff that you guys used to love to find at Fairway that you couldn't find any place else. Absolutely. Those so, early harvest olive oils that are monocultivars and all those great vinegars and things. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about the olive oil, for instance, because you were mentioning that you were in the New York International Olive Oil Competition. Yeah, that was our baby, my baby. What we, was that We about? underwrote it for the first three years of its existence, and last ah. month was the fourth, and it was a smash. I didn't speak at this one last month, but I spoke at the, the first three, and, and that was really neat because mm-hmm. I've got to meet so many cool people that are olive farmers and olive millers and, and olive experts that are that are have PhDs and all of that. I got wow. to meet Frank Justra. Oh, my God. you got 20 minutes, I'll tell you. <laughs> Frank <laughs> Justra, who was uh, a polymath. Uh-huh. We love those Anybody out there that wants, <laughs> that wants to get in the know about somebody who's ruling the world, Google Frank Giustra. Is that G-I-U-S-T-R-A? It's a G-I-U-S-T-R-A. Yeah, I thought so. He, he just as sort of a sort of a mission 
has created the most expensive olive oil in the bloody world. Is just, that right? What makes just, it so it's costly? It's gobsmacking how expensive this olive oil is from Umbria that's in a steel bottle. Ooh. And where Frank came from, Katie, it's a mind blower. Really? Oh, my God. What makes this olive oil so spectacular? Well, first of all, he's got the best Miller imaginable. There's maybe a handful of Millers that are have the have the metal and experience that Cesare has uh, for Frank Justra in in uh, Umbria for Domenica Fiore, named after Frank's mother, Domenica Domenica Fiore. Uh huh. And he's got extraordinary uh, uh, groves that are very, very specific as to what the cultivar is, uh-huh. and he refuses to blend cultivars, which if we had the time, I would explain why that's a noble thing to do. Uh-huh. And he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's hit a grand slam home run with everything he's done. Frank Juster is Lionsgate Studios. Oh. He decided he wanted to make movies after he'd already made billions in mining. Oh, wow. And before that... A hedge fund back in the back in the eighties, nineties. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He's ten years younger than me. This guy. Oh my God! From Don't you just hate them. But anyway, his olive oil is <laughs> drop dead, fabulous. Wow! And I should know. Uh, you are the but guru, man. You are anybody the guru. that would pay that kind of money for, well, for anything. I mean, olive oil is a great value, even if it's thirty, forty dollars a liter. Yeah. But this stuff is almost twice that. Oh, my god! And anybody that can afford to buy olive oil that expensive ought to be firebombed for conspicuous consumerism. <laughs> I'm, I'm halfway kidding. I'm halfway serious. I mean, come on. Yeah, come you on. have to, like, drink it out of a shot glass. I mean, you can't just, well, like... exactly. <laughs> the hoity-toity chef brings it to the table himself rather than right. the wait staff and, right, right. and drib- dribbles it over your crudo. <laughs> I mean, somebody blow my brains out already. <laughs> well, I... <laughs> God, Steve, you you do have some very strong opinions about the food business. Um, I, I one one of the things that you wrote to me when we were talking about setting up this interview is, um, and this is your quote: "Is how every shop and supermarket is such a slave to the consolidation of what's available to the serious mm-hmm. foodie and food merchant, mm-hmm. and you intend to change all that." But like that sort of speaks to the what we were talking about earlier about um, sort of being beholden to what distributors bring in. Is that what you were talking about when you meant the consolidation of the market? Oh, it's even worse than you think, and everybody out there, listen to me. I mean, it, the specialty food industry has consolidated, amalgamated, you know, merged into where there's like only two big importers and distributors left. Really? So, so what everybody up and down the street, whether you're a supermarket or a specialty store or a boutique or some dopey shop in a airport, right. is what these two big outfits have chosen to make available to you. And my whole thing is that's, that's insane. Anybody that's a retailer or a cook or a chef or a restaurateur ought to be taking every spare moment that they have and traveling. Yeah. And traveling to the, to the region where you're most interested in the cuisine. And in doing so, you're getting around to the markets and to the farmers' markets and right. to the shops and to the restaurants, and you're getting turned on to specific ingredients made by very specific people that, by God, you ought to be pioneering. You ought to be going to that person's place of business or home or farm or grove or whatever and finding the person responsible and saying, Hi, how are you? And we hope you can speak a little bit of his or her language and say, I want to buy as much of this stuff as you can sell to me. I'll have it picked up by my freight forwarder. I'll have it sent to the nearest port. 
and I'll have it customs cleared and duty paid in New York, and you're going to get amazing publicity from some food writer that everybody's going to be beating the path to your door. And you also say, I'm not going to make you change your way of life. I don't want you to ramp up your production just just to satisfy my desire to mm-hmm. get my hands on a quantity of your product. I'll take just whatever you can spare. You know, I've been doing that for 15 years, and that's how I got this this stable of of suppliers Mm. that are loyal to me and that that cherish my business and that love getting that big check of euros every month Mm. when I I reorder. And it's because of passion. It's not because of business. It's because I don't want that stuff that that, those two imported distributors offer. They haven't done their homework. They haven't traveled. They're not passionate about what they're doing. We're going to take a quick break right here and uh, wait for a sponsor drop, and then we'll be right back with more of Steve Jenkins. Stay tuned. I'm Mike Calameco, host of Food Talk on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm here with Bob Moore, founder of Bob's Red Mill, as well as Ray and Tom Williams, who've worked with Bob for years and co-own an organic farm in eastern Oregon and Washington. Ray, Tom, why is organic farming so important to your family? It's all a matter of the soil as a source of nutrients, you increase organic matter of the soil, you increase the water holding capacity. Water is becoming increasingly scarce. So in terms of sustainability, we don't think it's the only answer, but it's one answer. and It's the answer that we're trying to pursue. It's been a challenge and it's been fun because it, it is different and we're learning how to do it for the last 10 plus years. We're not just doing organic, we're doing organic to high standards. Bob, why did you choose to partner with Ray and Tom? Oh, goodness, Bob, because they're the best farmers in Oregon, and they're close, and they have a bunch of acres, I think about 10,000, over in in eastern Oregon and Washington. They're wonderful farmers, and their family have been farmers over there uh, for many, many years. It's really important that you have long-term relationships, and we've enjoyed a long-term relationship with Bob's because there are a lot of challenges to organic farming. You simply don't have as many tools as a conventional farmer, and so you have to rely on longer-term solutions. Knowing that you have a market is absolutely critical. The margins in farming are not that great, so if you grow the stuff and you can't sell it, you have a real problem. And we know with Bob's that we have a market, and uh, we turn out high-quality grains, and they buy them, and it all works well. Learn more about Bob's Red Mill and their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. We are back. This is the Heritage Radio Network, and you're listening to What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and my guest today is Steve Jenkins. On with the show! So how did it get to be that point where it is only just the two the two uh, big importers that are because doing- all the little people were being crowded out by those big guys and they see. couldn't make any money. It's very very difficult to make any money as an importer distributor. You're running trucks, yeah, cost a fortune. You got salesmen you got to pay. You got expenses of the salesmen you got to pay. Yeah, you've got enormous persecution by the FDA who's constantly up your behind and fining you and detaining product and all of that cost costs a lot of money. Yeah. I don't know of anybody who's been doing what I'm doing that, that, that's walking away wealthy. So they all sold out uh-huh. for whatever they could to these guys who who became the behemoths of the, of the industry. You see their trucks on the street. 
You Which see ones? Chef's Warehouse Chef's truck Warehouse, on the street. Yeah. You see Ace Endico on every highway you're on. You see Baldor trucks every I see place. Baldor everywhere. And yeah. now, for the non-perishables, it's all Kehe, mm-hmm. K-E-H-E. And UNFI, which used to be the, the, the organic and health food distributor that's now one of two great specialty food uh, imported distributors. But they, what they're stable can't hold a candle to mine because they haven't done their rock and roll history business. They don't understand <laughs> what the business of supplying ingredients and immediate gratuitous uh, foodstuffs is. They handle big, huge European companies. And I'm talking really, this is very Eurocentric, the conversation you and I are having. Yes. I'm not talking Asian stuff, and I'm not talking South American stuff, though I do have some killer stuff from Rio. I'm talking Europe. And, and, and about my violon d'angre, which is French for hobby, uh-huh. for what I've loved to do for the last 25, 30 years, which yeah. is wander around in, in, in France and Italy and Spain and Portugal and Belgium and Holland and, and Scandinavia and look for stuff that tastes really good and stuff that I could get palletized and have a truck pick up for me and, and send it to either La Havre in Normandy or to Barcelona or, uh-huh. to, or to Genoa so that it can get containerized, those pallets, and then come across the ocean to Port Elizabeth, New Jersey. Oh, and I can get my hands on them. My joy all these years of being a cheesemonger, and, and I'm a master cheesemonger. There was nobody better than me at the counter for all those years. I was the oh, best no counterman in the world. The Absolutely. greatest thing in the world was to get a wooden box that was filled with, say, a great goat cheese from the Paragord region. Yeah. And use your right hand and pry off that top slat, and inside... Nestled on top of rye straw mats, which was like, which was like, like Vox amplifier speakers, like the Beatles used to have. To me, yeah. these rye straw mats, where all these goat cheeses that that would have shapes and have names that would describe the shape, yep. and would be named after the village that they came from, would nestle upon these rye straw mats so that air could pass underneath them. That, for me, was the greatest thrill in the universe. And Indeed. today, it's the same thing. When when I get in a case of, of oleo estepa olive oil from just east of Seville, or the Basilipo that, that's closer over to Baena or... or, or the Orizzi Provençal olive oil, and I open it up, and I look at that bottle, and I look at I mean, that, it, it's just such a rush. Oh, yeah, I bet. And you're not going to find that in stores that much anymore because there's nobody that's passionate that's doing the importing and distributing, and it's, it's, it's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I think it's sad when when things that used to be real specialty items have become commoditized. Yeah. Even 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 if their quality is good, um, I still am looking for. I'm still longing for those old days where you would you know find some really extraordinary treasure. Yeah, what I tell you, what else you're longing for is to have it, having stores like Fairway around that didn't charge so much money. Oh, no kidding. I mean, all of this stuff is so elitist. It's so it's most people aren't going to rustle up the money to be able to buy. Uh, a, a great bottle of olive oil. Let's be serious. It's that, yeah. that stuff's expensive. That's that's why Fairway was so successful because I was in there cutting out the broker, the distributor, and the importer. 
it was all about my customer dealing directly with the people that were weeding the grove and pruning the olive trees mm. and everything else. I cut out all those people in between so I could charge a price where where a, the best bottle of olive oil in the in the, absolutely in North America from one of my 15 barrel oils that I'd import direct right. would cost $15. Yeah. That's that's a steal. Now they're forty five, fifty five, sixty bucks for a liter. But Oof. when I do it my way, it's fifteen, sixteen bucks, and that's the way it ought to be. Because you know most people just are not going to scrape together that kind of money to to satisfy their desire to do the things that I've been doing for the last thirty five years, and I feel bad about that. So my job is to keep this stuff as low priced as I possibly can, but still have a has has the quality that I would insist upon for fairway in the old days before two and a half years ago. Right, right, absolutely. You know, you mentioned that nobody cooks, but I, I think I think quite a lot of people are heading back into the kitchen. Don't and surprise I, me. Uh, <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about the meal kit companies that have sprung up like mushrooms. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Are those flash in the pans, or are they no, are they real. gateway they're drugs real. to and real on the, cooking? On the strength of what I've just learned last week is I've got one of them that's begging me to come up with ah. 128,000 two-ounce portions of ricotta salata <laughs> for their bloody box yep. of, of ingredients going out there. And they're talking about reordering monthly. That's 16,000 pounds of the sheep's milk cheese wow. that's made from whey in Sardinia and Sicily. Yeah. So I'm trying mightily to find somebody who will fill this do get the labor done on these six-pound wheels of ricotta salata yeah. to crumble it into two-ounce portions. That's what I was just going to you know, say. Into a like, plastic wow. play dish with a tight lid on it, so yep. that I can I can do this deal. Yeah, that says to me, yeah, this is this is real. This, this is, is real. There's money there. And yeah. then I was thinking for you for olive oil. Also, this would be a tremendous opportunity because I mean, two-ounce portions of olive oil yeah. as a drizzle, or you know, it's yeah, just, but they don't need me. There's 150 other guys out there who are. Ready and willing to serve two ounce portions of of erstwhile olive oil for these guys that are trying to keep their costs down so that their orders will go up. I don't know. So they can use you as done, marketing, just like everything else does. Why can't they use you as a marketing tool, Steve Jenkins? Select. Well, they oughta. I mean, you know, it's I a brand. I can articulate the yeah. significance of what it is they're trying to do in a manner by which people will say, "Well." You know, if if he says it's okay, I guess it's okay. Right. But, you know, that's that remains to be seen. Well, I mean, I don't know. You got to put on some Steve Jenkins magic for that, because I well, mean, we, honestly, we try. that's worth. We try, that. but you know, Katie, <laughs> we got to keep the shishi out of this thing. We well, we got to stop. Yeah. With the snobby thing, and understand that there's people like you and me around that just want their best friends to come over, yeah. and settle down, and open some wine bottles. Or, have some cocktails, and let's cook dinner together, yeah. having shopped for it that day someplace that gave us joy. Yes, right. I was, in, I was in a Publix in North Carolina last month. Really? Which is one of the leading supermarket chains in the world, along oh, yeah. with Kroger and a few others, Publix. And I came out, and for the next three or four days, I was so depressed, I didn't, I couldn't figure out why. And then it dawned on me that that the the experience of of shopping in Publix was the most dispiriting <laughs> experience I have had, and I don't remember when. Why if did you feel food, that way? 
and food um, people have been dumbed down to the degree of a Publix. I just don't know what to say. I mean, it's like I'm Johnny come late. I've stayed too long at the fair. I can't, I can't take it anymore. Katie, it was, it was just awful. Really? Because I find my locals are getting better and better in my in, in Rhode Island, which was truly a food desert ten years which ago. Which chain? Um, even the Stop and Shop there is pretty good. I actually shop in a, in a market that's an independent called the Belmont, but which is excellent. Um, but the uh, Stop and Shop there is really quite creditable. I mean, huh. I've been amazed. Yeah, that's the Golub family. They've always done a good job, but oh, I don't believe right? you. I don't believe you. And people say the same thing about Wegmans. Yeah, I've heard that. I've never shopped there. They say I had an okay shopping experience at Stop and Shop. I don't agree. I think it's just, just loathsome the way (laughs) they merchandise food, the way they don't have anybody on the floor to talk about it with you, the way they don't think signage is important to try and inform you. The way they make the visual of it, that it's, it's so behind glass and so packaged. And then there's the selection. That is, it's, just, just, it's just execrable, the selection. The yeah. cheeses that were offered to me in that Publix in a major, major neighborhood of, of, of Raleigh, North Carolina, which is a, you know, a, a world-class city, yeah. was, was, was an absolute embarrassment. I could not believe my eyes how bad it was. So... I hate to be Debbie Downer, but I don't think things are turning out quite the way we you and hoped. I and a lot of folks yeah. that are listening want things to turn out. Yeah, well, I would agree with you that the cheese and salumi and you know that kind of stuff is really a dismal situation in any grocery store chain. Um, very bad, absolutely. Yeah. But the yeah. produce has gone way, way up, and the you know even the selection of meat has started to include. Uh, some better options than in days of yore. Um, yeah, the, the butchers and the, and the fishmongers are as good as they can be, I would say, some of them anyway. But take take prepared foods. You know, they, they should refer to the, that, that department as leftovers. Yeah, right? And it's leftovers <laughs> of, of dishes that nobody really found much I don't joy know. in in the first place. I don't place. know so who it's buys like that stuff. leftovers of, of not very good food to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's what folks are eating out there. Those folks that that, that think uh, you know Boston Market is pretty good, or the Golden Corral. Have you ever been in a Golden Corral? That no. is a mind blower. Oh, well, I, I literally never ever. I mean, it's not that I'm a snob; it's just that I don't like that kind of food particularly. Yeah, well, I do. Yeah, I, I love that kind of food, but, I, <laughs> but I'm, I'm I'm a snob. I'm a reverse snob, I guess. I just I just yeah. I don't know what to say without sounding like a jerk, but but, but the state of shopping for food out there is, is just really bad, really bad. And, yeah. And well, the more know. it's summertime when there's good summertime food and farmers markets and and some independent markets that are offering stuff from nearby. I mean, maybe that's all we can hope for. Maybe but all my stuff's imported, and it's a it's not perishable food. It's stuff that's shelf-stable that there's not an equivalent made in North America. This is the old established European stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of that, um, you mentioned a project that you're working on with someone named Matthew Battaglia, a Tuscan yeah. olive oil farmer. Yes. And so you've been importing his olive oil for years, and then you yeah. said that you're doing some project with the state of Texas. Yes, he's got a and- charcuterie guy, a salamiere, 
and he's got a cheesemaker way over near the Gulf, outside really? of Brownsville. And the cheesemaker's making a drop-dead goat cheese, yeah. and we're importing a sheep's cheese for him in its young state that he's putting away, having having swathed it with, with local chilies, which sounds gimmicky, but it's absolutely remarkable what happens really? after that stuff's been in a cave for uh, a bloody Gulf of Mexico sand cave for six months, swathed in these chilies, and his own goat cheeses that he's doing the same thing with. Uh-huh. And the, the Salimiere, um, who is over, over closer to Austin, he is knocking off not just great Salsiche, fresh and and aged, but he's knocking off my passion, which is called copiette. What is that? Copiette is the Italian word meaning paired, doubles, two of something. And in this case, it's it's dried pork tenderloin that's been pounded with fennel seed and sea salt and hot dried red chili flakes and then aged until it's like the texture of of the most toothsome jerky you've ever had. Copiette is a Roman phenomenon from thousands of years ago that's been around forever because every truck driver in Italy has a plastic bag filled with copiette very close to his gearbox. <laughs> so that in between downshifting and upshifting and double clutching, this guy reaches in this plastic bag and pulls out a, a hunk of copiette and gnaws on it across the miles of Europe that mm-hmm. these, uh, these uh, truck drivers are, are driving. And they're utterly addicted to it, as am I. I found it in a, a shop that specialized in Sardinian stuff on the highway between no between Monte Argentario and Rome. Wow. Between between uh, uh, that fabulous island there and Rome, there's a shop where if on a clear day you can see Corsica. You can't see Sardinia, but you can see Corsica. Wow. And everything in this little shop right on the roadside is uh, Urbitello. is a... Urbitello is the word, the city I was trying to think of, which is the mouth of Monte Argentario, the island off the coast that's connected by these ganglion. This shop had that copiette in there, and I've been addicted to it for 10 years now. Wow. And nobody makes it. There's like two people in Italy that make it. Wow. And nobody in the United States. And the stuff is it's absolutely drop-dead, delicious, fabulous, so addictive. You know, you go in a, uh, an airport, and you'll see a whole huge kiosk festooned with all of this loathsome, just, just gross, nausea-inducing jerky <laughs> that's flavored with this and that and the other thing, right. and and it's expensive. Have you seen those those jerky kiosks? Yes. And across the country, at truck stops, it's the oh, most sure. it's the most valuable real estate in the whole massive truck stop is where they sell the jerky. Well, there's a huge market for that horrible stuff. Oh yeah. And, but I, I've got this thing coming out that's like it's like prosciutto ends that have been hammered, pounded with a mallet with fennel seed and sea salt and hot dried red chili flakes. And it, it, it sounds absolutely great. So Steve. we've got I mean, this thing I'm going with Matthew's now. olive oil. And the charcuterie, Salumiere, yeah. near Austin, and the cheesemaker. And we've got a, a, a pizza maker down there who's feeding these pizzas to the, all of the military bases. Ah. And we've got the Francia Corta, who is Antinori, getting involved with this huge batch of red wine that they're not selling to anybody else. And uh, it, it looks like it's shaping up to a pretty neat thing. And I've been working with Matthew on this for 
more than five years, more like seven years, wow. I've been tolerating this, this whack job who <laughs> lives in Camayorte with his two young sons and his brother. And this is his entrepreneurial wacko thing that I've been patient with for six, seven years, and it looks like it's coming to fruition based on the relationships he has with, with Texas. Oh, and the other thing is the mullet burgers. He's got this guy who catches 300,000 pounds of mullet in the, in the panhandle of Florida uh-huh. and sells the row to Italians and oh. doesn't have anything to do with all of that mullet meat, which is absolutely delicious. You know the ultimate smoked fish is not sturgeon or salmon or whitefish or chubs like we think out here in, in New York. Right. The ultimate smoked fish is mullet. Who knew? So this guy, yeah. So the, well, I've been eating it for years because that's you know, I came from Missouri and we always took vacations in Florida and we would always buy a whole big bags of of smoked mullet the same way Italian truck drivers buy copiette. And we would always have it in the car. So there are many of those of us who know great, how great smoked mullet is. And this guy's making these mullet burgers out of it that are frozen that taste like the best uh, roasted fish that you could you could buy. Oh, wow. And it's cheap great. as dirt. So we've got that thrown into the mix, too. If it isn't one thing, it's another. Uh, I mean, Steve, your energy is just extraordinary. So now how did this... <laughs> I'm retired. <laughs> Yeah, right. Plenty of time on your hands. But it doesn't sound like you have any time on your hands because, I mean, the, between the two of these projects, that sounds like pretty major. And plus, you go around still giving talks and, and obviously looking for products. Yeah. yeah, and talking to anybody that he needs to have a good talking to. That, that's right. That's what I do. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I mean, I'm just as much of a phony and a dilettante as, as you could imagine. I just love how things taste, and I just love cramming things in my mouth. Yes. And I can't wait for this guy near Austin, uh, Mark, his name is Mark, to, to, to make another big batch of copiete and send it to me. And, and for Adam Thompson to make another big batch of his goat cheese that's swaddled in, in these, these uh, gorgeous local chilies. What and kind send of flavor does that? that? To me, it's all that part of our conversation, Katie, is self-interest. Well, I love getting okay. free stuff in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm just going to say, I, I, I'd be up for getting some of that free stuff in the mail, too. Tell me about the flavor of the chilies. Because, like, when I travel to Vietnam, for example, the chilies yeah. have a lot of, um, it's more than just heat. It's like a very floral flavor, mm-hmm. like a variety yeah. of floral flavors. So is that cool. what's happening with the, with the cheeses yeah, that are wrapped in chilies? Has nothing to do with that. Right. You know, I, I've always eschewed, I've always heaped scorn on food makers that think they have to put stuff in stuff. I, I hate mm-hmm. stuff in stuff. Mm-hmm. I know, me this too. This is something entirely different, just as you said. It's not a hot chili. It's it's a, a chili that's got this enormous depth of play, flavor. It's it's a pasilla and a, and a poblano uh-huh. that right. he swaddles this with, and Oh. Over time, that complexity of those non-hot chilies, those spicy but non-hot chilies, right. imbue that cheese. It's about it's about a four or five pounder Ooh. to where not only is there no mold involved, uh, but co- the result is you can eat the outside of that cheese, too. So it's like you've got an accompaniment with that cheese, and it's not an ingredient that's been introduced to the interior. It has only been been uh, uh, attached to the exterior in order to flavor, sure. in order to imbue the interior with that mysterious, dark, smoky, um, um, 
savory, umami-driven chili into yeah. that otherwise rather bland cheese. Sure. It sounds absolutely brilliant. And if it w- didn't have that integrity, I wouldn't be into it. Because as I say, I don't, I don't like it when you trick something up. This is a, a totally legitimate way to bring a cheese to where it's been heightened. It's been refined. It's become better than it came before. Right, right. You know, it's like cleaning up a campsite before you leave. It looks better now than when I got here. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's what affinage is all about, right? It's like you get a sort of a, a, a raw, for a better lack of a better word, a raw ingredient. And then exactly. depending on what you rub it with or you have in the cave or you, you know, smear it, smear on it. or That's the purpose. <clears throat> yeah. It's like, you know, it's like rubbing it with burgundy or mark yeah. or, you know, something like that. By yeah, the way, so do you have Adam a cheese Thompson. cave? He's he's do, he's he's the real deal. Yeah. What about you? You don't do it as a hobby. Mm, I, I did it as a hobby for all those years where I I was a master cheesemonger, and I suddenly know. it became chic to dedicate a room to become what all of these Americans love to roll off of their tongue and palate the word affineur. Yes. And I was the only one that had the temerity or the audacity to stand up and and decry um, a phony baloney practice because it didn't require that kind of of elitist attitude toward it. I've been doing it for years naturally because I had a walk-in box that I could control the humidity and the temperature in various areas of that sure. room. But I resisted that fad of a few years ago of affinage, just the very, the very three syllables of it annoy me <laughs> and that that guy Hervé had to come from France and walk around with a lab coat on and a, and a clipboard and a, a temperature and humidity devices in his lab coat pocket uh-huh. for a fee he would turn you into an affineur so that you could commit affinage I, I, I thought that was absolutely one of the dumbest things that uh, New Yorkers have come up with, and I said so, and everybody said, "Oh well, he's just—he's just too old." I That's mean, right. He's just, uh, you know, That's he didn't think of it. So. Being grumpy. What crap? What crap? Yeah. I'm a master cheesemonger. I've been into affinage for, for before most of these kids were born. Yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you were the first guy who was doing it here. I mean, Affinage. basically. Get out of here. Yeah. You're ridiculous. Put the cheese away and go look at it every day and turn it upside down and rub it if you want. But but get get Hervé out of my face already, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's wrap up with one final question, which is what food writers do you read, if any? Do you still enjoy you know reading? I am. Is this woman who writes for the Epoch? Times, no kidding. Which 127 million people go to that digital website a month. Wow, I, I had read no that idea. In, 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 in the Wikipedia because I wanted to see how wacky are these people, Epic Times. And it turns out Epic Times is a bunch of lovely people who happen to be religious in terms of the baby Jesus, which is neither here nor there, but are mightily and viciously persecuted by the Chicoms. And our media over the last decade has sort of have sort of vilified Falun Gong as being a bunch of 
Bible-thumping uh, nitwit nut, nut cases. It's not, not the case. They're very legitimate, and if you yeah. read up on them and, and read some of the history of them, you'll find that they're really very lovely people. Now, I'm as irreligious as anybody ever walked up and down the street, but the Epoch Times has a writer named Channely Philip. She also uses the last name Aum, O-U-M. I don't know where that came from, but uh-huh. I know her as Channely Philip in the Epoch Times, and she has a body of work that's readily available online that absolutely blows my mind. No kidding. You've got to, my listeners, you've got to go check out Channely Philip at the Epoch Times. She's the best writer besides Regina Shrambling that yeah. I've come across in my career, and there's nobody better than Regina Shrambling. I would agree with that. That being said... The loathsome New York Times has some extremely talented people in Christine Mulkey and Kim Severson and Sam yeah. Sifton. I, I love them to death. I despise their newspaper, but I absolutely <laughs> am in awe of those folks. Um, uh, I do love name? Kim Severson. I'm, I'm forgetting that other writer. Nisha what's her name? Nisha? Anyway, there's two other writers. Nisha Lowry, uh, I think it my is. Mind. Yeah. But... Regina Shrambling, who is gastropoda.com, yeah. and she's been right, throwing some recipes to the New York Times recently. And she quit them twice. She hates the New York Times, too. Oh, yeah. She's thrown some recipes their way over the last few months. And uh, Channely Philip at Epoch, Epoch Times, I feel so glad that you just asked me that because I, 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 can't, I can't tell you how knocked out I am by Regina's work and Channely Philip's work in uh, the Epic Times. Her, her, everything she's written over the last 10 years is there, and it's just one mind blower after another. She even wrote about Alex Atala's joint in Sao Paulo. His, his joint is called D-O-M, Dome, but it does D period, O period, M period. It's one of those, it's one of those, those great restaurants that none of us will ever get to unless you get to give a keynote speech at the South American supermarket industries convention like I did. It's the only reason I got to go to this this restaurant. It was book solid, but I went and hung around in the lobby, my, Michelle and my wife and I, uh-huh. and they finally said, okay, <laughs> we've got a table over here. It's the only way I got to eat there. But wow. Alex Atala's joint. Channely even wrote a, a piece about him. I mean, she, she picks the most, all, she, she picks all these subject matter that I'm, I'm dying to read about. And I can't say that for most other food writers. Yeah, really, me too. Um, Steve, i got to wrap it up here, but thank you so much for uh, joining me today. This has been really fun. I'm definitely going to tweet out to um, Regina that you gave her a, a, a huge thumbs up on the show today. Um, hey, she'll I do enjoy interviews, that. and there's nobody I'd rather talk to than you. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And, uh, and thank you to my engineer, and we'll talk to you next week, folks. Thanks for listening. And this is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights, signing off for now. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. 
Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.